0: Matthew six twenty four No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We ask, Heavenly Father, that... We each might learn and grow and remember. We ask for direction as we examine ourselves. We forget about others around us. And consider what you see in this mortal flesh, we ourselves as individuals. We pray that we might grow in faith. Bless, we pray, in our Savior's name. Amen. You may be seated. As your pastor, and as uh, a Christian like everyone else, I am in constant need of your prayers for a great many reasons. Reasons that you need one another's prayer and for additional responsibilities that are laid on my shoulders. Here's another to add to the list. I'm thinking of bringing a series of messages on Christian sins. Should I or shouldn't I? How do we approach this sort of thing? Uh, Pray for the Lord's direction in this. Just as as a great many influential sinners are praying their names are not found in the documents from sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein, you might pray that your name doesn't come up tonight or next week if we proceed with this uh, endeavor. Should you pray, Lord, please have the pastor preach against the sins that I see in that other church member and leave my sins alone? Is that the way we should address this sort of thing? This may be a standalone message or it may be part of a series. I don't know what the Lord wants of me as yet. This may be a message for you. It may be a message for me. It may be a message for your neighbor. It is a message for all of us, (laughs) for all of us. But uh, what about the next message? We don't know as yet. We'll see. I'll start with an illustration that I've used before. I make no apology for it because uh, I enjoy it. Uh, uh, It's personal and it's appropriate. Between Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, Alberta's two largest cities, there's a great deal of traffic that goes north and south all of the time, summer, winter, all of the time. Uh, Calgary is the uh, headquarters of a great many companies, while the uh, processes and refineries and whatnot are up north in Edmonton or in that direction. So there's a lot of traffic going back and forth. There are three primary methods of getting from Calgary to Edmonton, for example, or the other way around. Uh, People with lots of money and little time can get on uh, an airplane, and up and down, and they're there in no time whatsoever. Then, of course, there's the four-lane highway that goes almost straight as an arrow through Red Deer and then on up into Edmonton. And parallel to the highway is the most, uh, well, I don't know if it's the best or not. There's a train track that runs just west of the highway. It was discontinued about the time that Judy and I moved away from Alberta, but there used to be a dayliner, they called it, the dayliner that ran several times from these two communities. Uh, And thus to... It used to be... Let's just put it this way, since it's not there now. It used to be that uh, people on the highway driving north to Edmonton could look toward the west and they would see a train, but it wasn't a train. It wasn't a train because there wasn't an engine and there wasn't a caboose and there weren't little cars in between. That is what constitutes a train. This was one car, one car with an engine in it. It carried no freight. It was just for passengers. They called it the Dayliner. Uh, I had the privilege of riding the Dayliner only once, up and back. Uh, It was because I had been invited to preach up in Edmonton, and uh, uh, Judy needed the car in Calgary or something like that. Anyway, I was on that one time. And uh, I'm sure that the kids riding in their parents' cars along the highway, looking over and seeing the dayliner, it was a silly looking thing, would laugh. What is that? It didn't make any sense. And then the people who were in the dayliner, looking at uh, all of those people on the highway, uh, Depending on the weather, if it was in winter, uh, 20 below, 30 below, wind was blowing, uh, the people in the dayliner would laugh at the people in the car, just the way things were. The difference between driving and riding might might illustrate two of the ways in which we journey through life. It is a dangerous thing to drive the 281 kilometers from Calgary to Edmonton when that temperature is 40 below. Black ice all over the place. And the very fact that we were going in a straight line for the most part made it a little different, made it a little discouraging. Uh, And then there were the blizzards that would come up from time to time. There was an occasion, we drove that several times, Judy and I and the kids. There was one occasion when we did it at this time of the year. In fact, it was two weeks ago and it was cold. It was 40 below. And when we got to Edmonton, we had to plug the car in so it wouldn't freeze and all of that stuff. And let me just tell you, it was white knuckle to drive uh, those three, four hours up there and then drive back again. It was interesting, but to sit in the relative comfort of the dayliner with a good book or with games to play with the kids as you're going along, that was the way to travel. It was nice. And you look out the window and see the wind blowing and the snow blasting the side of the dayliner, it made you feel comfortable inside. It was appropriate. One trip involved anxiety and worry, and the other trip The only worry was whether or not your friend was going to be at the station to pick you up once you got there. These were days prior to the cell phone, prior to Ubers, that sort of thing. The The Lord Jesus addresses a very common sin here in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. It is one which most of us are guilty to some degree or other and some of us are guilty of it to a very high degree most of the time, worry. It's a sin which is quite shameful if found in the child of God, but it is so common among us that it doesn't shame us like it ought to do. We're all guilty of it. It has many names, but I will just call it worry. The title of our message is not very flattering, Satanic Imaginations, Worry. When the Lord said, take therefore no thought for tomorrow, he was saying, don't worry about tomorrow. He wasn't condemning the making of plans for tomorrow. I wish that I had made better plans 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 30 years ago it would be helpful today. In some ways, that's the way life is. We're just constantly looking back. The psalmist said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We should build our house, our lives, upon the rock rather than the sand because we know the storms are going to come. If we could just have planted those foundations a little deeper back when we were 20, then things would be a little better when we're 70 or 60 or whatever it is. If the Lord will, we shall go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. That is, if it is the Lord's will, we shall live and take care of certain things. James chapter 4. Opposed to God-directed planning, however, worrying about tomorrow is unwise and unhealthy. Very often it's given into satanic suggestions, satanic imaginations. Should I be worrying about this? Why am I worrying about this? Where did that come from? There are occasions when God gives us commands or forbids things without explaining why. Just do it, he says, and we are supposed to do it. We don't need to know why. At times, the Lord leaves us the opportunity to figure it out. And sometimes, we may never figure those things out because the Lord's ways are higher than our ways. But often, he said, this is why I would like you to do these things. And this is one of those well-explained exhortations. Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink. First, because your life is more than food and clothing. Verse 25. Second, your Father in heaven who loves you knows that you need these things. Verse 26. And third, because the providence of God will take care of tomorrow when we get to tomorrow. Verse number 34. Scripture tells us not to worry. Worry is contrary to the lessons of nature, it is contrary to the gospel, it is contrary to the providence of God. But still, we worry too often. Think about the nature of worry. Verse number 25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Everyone trusts some sort of God, suggested that this morning. That is universally true including that professed atheist he has his gods. The God in whom we trust may be named Jehovah, or Allah, or fate, or evolution, or any number of things. But quite often, it's the human trinity, me, myself, and I. I'm I'm in charge here. Everyone trusts their special God for their bodies, that their God created this body somehow, shaped it, sustains it, takes care of it, it, gave it its height and its strength and so on. And people cannot help themselves but to trust this way. Who is your God? Who gave you this life? Who gave you this body of yours? It's part of our nature to trust that God that we have established. It's a part of us. Whoever that God is, he is the source of our lives, and therefore we trust him to maintain our lives. But of course... Christians know that this God is Jehovah. The Lord Jesus here forces us to ask ourselves, what use is it for me to worry about things such as food? Keep in mind, this is really a segment of a larger question because food is a part of life. We run out of food, we run out of life. So who are we going to trust for life? before we get back down to the smaller question generally speaking you and i have no control over the length of our lives but if we keep food in our bodies usually we'll keep breathing and until the end of our life <laughs> that makes sense take for example wb riley you know i like to read biographies wb riley along with the Canadian T.T. Shields and the Texan, uh, J. Frank Norris and Ben Bogard and others, these men fought unsuccessfully against the inroads of liberalism among the Baptists back in the 20s and 30s. Riley was born in 1863. Think about this. He was born during the Civil War. He read the newspapers about the Spanish-American War. He had friends that fought in the war to end all wars. He died shortly after the Second World War. Consider all that this man saw and experienced. He died in 1947. He was born in 1863. What a period of time that was. Did he always eat well? I doubt it, he lived during the depression. A lot of people went hungry those days. He survived the days of the Spanish flu pandemic. Was it COVID or was it COVID? Similar, he lived through the days of the Dust Bowl. From time to time, he probably jaywalked and successfully got to the other side of the street in the middle of the block. He probably drove too fast on icy uh, Minnesota roads on tires far less capable than our tires are today. And he survived. He fought dozens of spiritual battles, and yet he lived well into his 80s. Why did he live so long? Because God wanted him to, period. That's just the way it was. That was the will of God. Ultimately, even when we include the idea of suicide into the equation, God can stop a suicide. Life is dependent entirely upon God. And that is what the Lord is saying here. The Lord tells us to consider God's care of his creation. And he refers particularly to birds and to flowers. The botanist may say that the lily is more important than the sparrow. But the uh, ornithologist would say just the opposite. But neither one of those people would even hint that uh, the bird or the lily was more important than his wife. And none of them would uh, sacrifice their son in order to spare the life of a sparrow. I digress. When we were getting ready for church this morning, there was a hawk sitting on our back fence. Did Judy tell you all about this? And the squirrels use our back fence as their railroad. And this hawk was not moving. (laughs) And this squirrel wanted to go over there Uh, anyway. As I say, that's complete digression. But it was interesting, and we didn't get to stay to see the end of it. It would have been fun, I'm sure. No blood when we got back, so it must have ended relatively peacefully. The Lord cares about sharp-shinned hawks and squirrels and sparrows. He cares about all of these things. And they don't worry. They don't worry. They just do what they do. Jehovah has been taking care of thousands of unworthy segments of his creation. For a long time. The Lord says that God cares for the needs of his creation and that includes you. Every time we see a beautiful flower, every time we see, oh, I'm seeing lots of pictures of eagles right now. Lots of eagles. When we see a beautiful wild turkey, it should remind us that worry is not something that should be in our lives. The Lord takes care of his creation and we are more than his creation. We are his children. Something else which our Savior seems to emphasize here is our inability to help ourselves to any degree. The flowers and the birds, they don't uh, manufacture clothing. They just live in the skin that they have, the feathers that they have. But not only does God care for us more than he does for them, he has given to us the ability to make clothing to sow seeds and to sow clothing. That is, we can have some influence on tomorrow. Our creatures can't. I assume that mother squirrel is alive today and that hawk will be back next week for another sparrow. Uh, That's just the way things are. But they can't influence what happens tomorrow. It's going to get cold by the end of next week. I mean, really cold. We can stay inside. We can put on another coat. We can put on a sweater even while we're inside. Oh, sparrows can't. They just have to tough it out. We can influence our tomorrow. Tomorrow. We should approach that opportunity with reverence and awe. If the Lord be willing, we shall go to the city and do this or that. We ought to plan for tomorrow and include some hard work in the plan. Nevertheless, we trust God for the outcome. Notice the Lord Jesus says, Your Father feeds them. It doesn't say their father feeds them. Jehovah is not the father of the animal. Jehovah is not the father of the vegetable. As funny as it sounds, God is merely the creator of these things. But he's not merely my creator. He's my heavenly father. I am one of his children. We are above Jesus' examples of sparrows and lilies. Perhaps you've heard the ancient illustration about the little boy on the old sailing vessel that was in the midst of the sea and a horrible hurricane raging around. So many of the passengers were thoroughly upset by the wind and the waves. They thought the boat was going to go down, the ship was going to go down, but the little boy... He was just playing, running around, doing the things that little boys do. And one of the passengers asked him, Why are you so cool, calm, and collected? And the little fella just said, My father's the captain of the ship. That's all there was to it. He had confidence. Isn't our father the captain of our ship? Or have we somehow taken the captaincy from him? Another reason not to worry is I'll call the the lesson of religion. Verse 32. For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Worry is a heathen thing. It's a sinful thing. Isn't it the tendency of the heathen to emphasize earthly things over spiritual things? Christians do that too. Having no concept of the spiritual, they have nothing else to consider, but we do. We have a Heavenly Father who cares for us. Heaping up riches and worrying about the protection of our treasures, that's man's religion. It's not the Lord's. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Let's just realize that. Serve the Lord. Worry about the collection of your wealth and worry about the conservation of your wealth. Those are two closely related things. On the other hand, part of godly religion is setting our affection on things above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Mm. It's to encourage ourselves to visit the fatherless and the widows. This is the definition of pure religion. To visit the fatherless and the widows and to share with them the treasures that the Lord has given to us. Mm. Anxious care borders on idolatry, according to the context of Colossians 3. I've just I've, I've read a quote by some old preacher, who said that it is less a sin to curse and swear than it is to worry. I don't know if that's right or not, this is an old preacher. Worry is evidence of a lack of trust in Jehovah. It's a spiritual problem. It's idolatrous. It saddens, it blights, it destroys. It impoverishes the soul. That's because worry is based on a misunderstanding of the character of God. The Lord said, your father knoweth what things ye have need of. He's aware of these things. The God of the heathen is so far removed that uh, they're, they're in trouble. They have to take care of themselves. They have no God to take care of them. The Lord careth for us, and he's even pleased that we bring our cares to him. Lord, I have this need. So Jesus encourages us to seek first the kingdom of God. To tell a person not to worry is not very helpful. But if we can, in some ways, supply something to occupy him move him away from that worry, then there's, there's, there's progress. Nearly all of us who have reached the age of 70 have at some point in time had to deal with uh, excessive weight. Gone on a diet. It is difficult to lose weight because dieting involves a void. An empty place. More than one empty place. But weight loss is greatly enhanced if we can make a substitution for the weight-causing food. I love Cheetos. A carrot, you know, a carrot, same color. (laughs) Probably better for me. It's been a long time since I had a Cheeto, unless there were some down at some fellowship recently. Uh, Again, digression. The reduction or elimination of worry is greatly enhanced by filling that void with something positive and spiritual. Seek the kingdom of God. Serve God. Study God. Solicit God. And then finally, worry is contrary to providence. Take no thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take thought or shall take thought for the things of itself. If sufficient under the day is the evil thereof. Different scholars explain that last verse in various ways. One of the common interpretations is that each and every day has its own bundle of problems. If we start holding on to today's problems, saving them for reuse tomorrow, then our problems start just adding up. However, if we start reaching for the problems which may be tomorrow, and we bring them into today, we're not adding problems. We are multiplying them. Nearly every modern ship as doors which, close interior doors, which close different sections of the ship. So if uh, a modern Titanic runs into an iceberg and water starts flowing in, these doors can be closed and the, uh, the water doesn't spread throughout the hull of the ship. Compartmentalizing. That's what we need to do. What does worry do? Does it guarantee that tomorrow will or will not have its problems and its sorrows? Tomorrow's going to have its problems and its sorrows. But here we are in today. Let's just slam the door on tomorrow. We'll deal with tomorrow when we get there. And the problems that we had yesterday, unless they are still problems, let's just forget about them. Close that door, too. Compartmentalize. Despite what our imaginations tell us, we can't be sure that tomorrow will have any problems. It may be a great day tomorrow. Oh, no, that's not likely. I've lived 75 years, and that doesn't happen very often. Why not? Why not? Despite our fretting, about what may or may not come, it certainly doesn't help. What our worrying about tomorrow does is destroy the opportunities that we have to enjoy today. And worry is a proven medical killer. It affects our bodies in so many different ways. I don't need to get into that. It certainly robs people of their sleep. And sleep's important. That's God's designed uh, physical restitution. We need the Lord's blessing. Where is that? There it is. Generally speaking, God gives Christians power to cope with the trials that He permits to come into their lives. There has no temptation, there has no trial taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful; he will not suffer you to be tempted, permit you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation, make a way, make a way to resist and escape. But God has not given us a promise to help us with trials that we imagine are going to take place. He deals with the here and now and tells us to deal with that. It's what Jesus' subject was right here. Here are two things about which we should never worry. Things that we cannot control and the things that we can deal with right now. Don't worry about it. Deal with it. A French soldier in World War I carried this recipe in his pocket. You did bring me a recipe. Of two things I am certain. I will either be at the battlefront or I will be behind the lines. And if I'm at the front, I will either be in danger or I will not be in danger. If I'm in danger, I will either become a casualty or I will not become a casualty. If I become a casualty, I will either die or I will recover. If I die, there will be nothing that I can do about it. And if I recover, that will be good. Therefore, I see no reason to worry. One little flaw in this illustration. If in this life only we have hope, mm-hmm. then that's that's a bad situation, most miserable. I don't know whether or not that soldier's philosophy included life which is beyond death, but. For those who have sought the kingdom of God and become citizens thereof by the grace of God, we, we know how it's going to end. Yes. Why should we worry? I don't want you to worry about getting hit by a semi-trailer truck on your way home this evening, but it's a possibility. The question is whether or not we are ready To move on. Whether we are ready for the Lord. Do we have a Bible-based confidence in God? Or is it just psychological, religious, uh, hocus-pocus? Christ is talking about substantial things here. Things that we need. We need greater faith in the Lord. He will take care of us.